We made this. Life's Milestones, the podcast right here on the We Made This Podcast Network that talks about birth and naming ceremonies, weddings and relationships, and death and funerals. As always, I'm your host, my name's Mark Adams, and I am a humanist celibate. That means that I am accredited, insured, and trained by Humanists UK to perform naming ceremonies, weddings, and funerals. Every fortnight, I have a different guest on to talk about the milestones in their life. And it's a bit of a first this time because I've got two people. (laughs) And the reason for that is they kind of come as a couple. They're the team of Nathan and Emily from the Twice as Less Not Perfect Messy Marriage podcast. What it means is because they're married and they've got a marriage podcast, I thought it would be a cool thing to have them both on at the same time and have the first couple on Life's Milestones, and I'm pleased to say that it worked out really, really well. Having listened to a fair few episodes of Twice As Less Not Perfect, these two are incredibly candid podcasters who go very deep into the very nitty-gritty elements of their relationship, and their relationship has got stronger because of it, and it's something that I very much admire. And the reason I got in touch with them was because I've been all over Facebook groups recently looking for different guests to people that I would normally approach, my friends. I'm potentially looking for people from other countries or people of faith or basically people that I wouldn't normally encounter who I would be comfortable approaching to be guests on my show. It's not that I won't be doing that. It's not that I won't be going back to my friends and small business owners and humanists and anything else that people tend to associate with me and my friends. But I really was quite pleased with the response I had when I had a chat to various folk on Facebook. And I've got some interesting guests coming up over the next couple of months because of it. So, yeah, that's how I met them. And they're brilliant and incredibly friendly people who... I thoroughly enjoyed meeting up with and um, podcasting with. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Emily and Nathan from Twice as Less Not Perfect. With me at this time are Emily and Nathan from the, and I hope I get this right, Twice as Less Not Perfect, a messy marriage podcast. Hello, Emily. Hello, Nathan. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much. You got it exactly right. Perfect. (laughs) Now, the title is a mouthful, but the content, I've listened to some of your stuff and I'm having a great time. I mean, I, I see this as a relatively honest and open podcast, but some of the stuff you've looked at, like critiquing your own wedding vows, baggage from previous relationships, bad habits... Lockdown and hashtag me too. I was like, shit, these guys are happy to like, you know, be honest on on a podcast. And that's kind of why I wanted you on board, really. Well, that's great. We're we're happy to talk to you. And we're just really sort of excited about sharing all of our messy stuff with the world. It's a little scary, but I think we want to be an example for 
other couples, especially, and just all people in general about how to sort of take a look at yourself honestly and and figure out how to grow and and that the mess is all part of the process and it's okay to acknowledge it because that's how you get better. Yeah, that idea that, you know, oftentimes in relationships we're, you know, especially today in the social media environment, it's very much everything looks perfect. Everyone's displaying this sort of ideal of perfectionism. And then you're sitting there having a terrible time in your relationship and looking around and you're like, well, is anyone else going through this? And they're like, oh, no, we're perfect. We're great. Everything's and great. Everything's beautiful. And you're <laughs> Over like, here on oh, Instagram. no, I must be twice as fucked up as I <laughs> think I am. <laughs> right. So everybody knows that they put their perfect life on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. But then yep. they see everybody else's perfect life and don't think, oh, that's their perfect life. Oh, they've got a better life than me. Yeah. We all know what we do. So why don't we kind of get our heads around the fact that that's what other people are doing too? Exactly. It's yeah. very hard it's, to, yeah. to stay grounded in that idea that we're all imperfect when mm-hmm. all you see is the same message. Everyone's yeah. doing better than you. Yeah. Just that constantly. constant idea of like, it's a filter. Everything I'm seeing is a filter. Everything. Well, it makes you feel yeah. a little bit crazy. Like you're just being <laughs> gaslit by the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gaslit by the world. Like, am I crazy? They're like, yes. I think everybody's crazy, Nathan. Exactly. Yeah. We're, We're all, all little <laughs> little nuts. We're all a little bit. Ba- all got a baggage. This, all got a lot. <laughs> the sooner we embrace it, the better we'll all be. Exactly. I think. We <laughs> hope. I think you're right. And so I started this podcast to kind of complement my business, the job that I do for the main part. What made you decide that you wanted to air your dirty laundry in front of the world? <laughs> you know, I I think it really did come from that that feeling of feeling very alone. You know, when we were going through a really tough time, we would reach out to people and say, man, we're, like, I'm having a hard time. And it felt like people didn't want to go there if they were married they were like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to talk about that. Or if they weren't married, they'd be like, kick that person to the curb. You don't, you don't need, need to deal with that. Like, that's nonsense. Get out of there. And we were both kind of like, who do I talk to? Who am I supposed to talk to about this? You know, and I felt alone and you felt alone. And so I think it really came from that feeling of seeing how much benefit we found when we faced it and we faced each other and got down in the muck and and really unpacked it all and it was uncomfortable counseling terrible yeah it was messy and you know it was painful and Mm. but then we came out of the other side of it so much stronger and that idea that you know if we could just let someone know that it's oh if if someone had come to me and been like it's okay and what you're feeling is normal and everybody who's ever been in a long-term relationship has felt this way at some point you're not crazy you're not broken you're just a bit of a mess and you need to go deal with it and you're not alone and you're not alone in that mm. i would have had a lot more confidence yeah going forward into it and have you had a lot of positive feedback from people who are in couples saying that Fucking hell, that's me as well. That kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, that's been like kind of the coolest thing, you know. And uh, we got a lot of feedback about like the baby episode. We had an episode just about 
kicking the idea back and forth about having kids or not. And we had so Mm. many people reach out to us, people who have had kids, people who have not had kids, being like, oh my gosh, this was exactly what we were going through and it was painful and it's still painful today. So thank you for talking about that. Well, we'll be looking at that a little bit further on in the show as well. I think I personally, listening to some episodes, I sat there almost wincing and I was like, that's me, that's him, that's me, that's me again. Oh, shit, that's me again. Oh, I suppose that's him. Oh, that's me again. And it was um, it was an experience. It's not an easy listen, I don't think. Oh, that's, that's interesting feedback. Yeah. We haven't heard that. Well, uh, maybe we got some feedback about the Me Too mm-hmm. episodes and uh, how it's sort of made a couple people look back on their past relationships and striking a balance of how to talk about these hard things, but give it some levity and not be too precious about it and show that Mm. these are painful things that we can actually find some humor in now that they've, we've dealt with them, you know, Mm. and, and, and I think that's been a valuable thing. I think that, what for me has been a really important thing on my per, on the personal side of things is to really think about that male view of dealing with emotions um, yeah. and helping break through that a little bit. That's like my little personal side mission of this whole thing is like modeling that it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay, you know, in in America especially we have such a closed off version of of manhood and what that looks like and always being strong and always being brave and always being this and that and it's really hard to feel vulnerable and be vulnerable as as a man in America but there's so much pressure from our society to maintain that and so to model what it looks like to just be like I'm a mess I'm broken. I'm sad. I cried. There are times I feel feelings that I don't even know. I've never experienced them and I don't have the words for them. And it took me three years to find out the word for that feeling. And that's what it, what it was like. And you, mm. if I can do that, you can do that too. So that's like my, that's my side project. This is like my little side quest in this video game of <laughs> podcasting about marriage we're doing. It's <laughs> a pretty hefty side project. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I think I could talk to you about your podcast all day, but we are here to do Life's Milestones. So shall we get started with a guest profile? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. How old are you both? I'm 36. I'm 35. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk about that then. Yeah. Um, as you are my first couple as a um, as guests, mm-hmm. is there any kind of negativity between age differences in America compared to here? Whereas... We have terms like toy boy if uh, the man is younger and um, and sugar daddy if the Uh, man's uh, older and things like that. Is that something that is as prevalent in America? Not that there's a huge age difference between you. There's 10 years age difference between me and my partner. Don't you think? Yes. So we have boy toys. Yeah. So in America, we have the cougar, which is the older woman. Mm hmm. Um, there's the trophy wife, which the, is the younger the woman. The trophy wife, yep. And then we which have, is translated to trophy husband. We yep, have that as we have well. Trof- trophy husbands now. And oh. then like on, on the in the, the young people have uh, 
Fuck boys. That's the one. Yeah, sure. The fuck young boys. people. Or, yeah. Or... Fuck boys means something much different here, actually. Does it? Oh, really? Yeah, what does fuck it mean? boys is men who aren't interested in relationships but lead women along to suggest that they are so that they can get in their pants. Oh, sure. And remember, pants means mm. underwear here. Yes, mm-hmm. sure, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so do we have, have a, a specific we might word have... for that guy? Like player? Yeah, player. A, a player? I think. I've heard player. I think fuckboy in America is perhaps a, a, I don't know, a subsidiary <laughs> of, the, of the player. <laughs> like, I think they're in the same wheelhouse, the same, they're yeah. in the, under the same umbrella. Jerks, really? Yeah. <laughs> but I think boy implies that they're younger than you. Sometimes. Right? In, I don't know. Here. I don't, I don't True. know. I'm not a fuckboy, so well, I can no, tell I've you. No, I've never been a fuckboy. <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> So, where are you both from and what's your backgrounds? Okay, I will start. Uh, I'm from Colorado, so I live in the state that I was born in, though um, I've bounced around quite a bit. My parents got divorced when I was a baby. Um, I was an accident, and so when they found out that I was being born, they tried to make it work, and then it really didn't. So, But my dad lived in California when I was... A kid, so I would spend a lot of time in Colorado with my mom. That's where I went to school. But then I would travel and visit my dad in Southern California, and then later Northern California. And um, so I feel like I'd spent a lot of my childhood in both of those states. Mm. And now um, my dad lives here, so everybody's here, and I don't get to California as much, mm-hmm. so I miss it. But that's me in a nutshell. Nathan? Yes. So I was born in Phoenix, Arizona, which is uh, the capital city of the state of Arizona. My parents are both from Indiana, though, so I had a very Midwest upbringing out in like the desert, right out in the Southwest area, right? So I had a, a religious upbringing. My parents were high school sweethearts, and they have been together their like, entire life, essentially, since they graduated high school. Um, I'm the oldest of two, uh, two brothers, and I was also an, an accident. I was not planned. So yeah, grew up in the church uh, and then went out of state to college uh, in Colorado, which is where I went, met Emily, and then spent several years bouncing around in, to New York City and to Las Vegas and back to Arizona for a time. And um, I was a fourth and fifth grade teacher. For four years, um, which I think informed a lot of <laughs> who I am today and what I do now, and uh, yeah, and uh, that's been, you know, I, I came from a theater background, so I I went to school for theater, and then went and joined a teaching program and got my master's degree and taught fourth and fifth grade. So those two things kind of inform a lot of what I do now to a great degree. Well, mm. yours was way more thorough than mine. I feel like I missed a lot of stuff. <laughs> My parents were divorced. Here I go. <laughs> well, the next question is, what do you do that makes you interesting? We've already covered your brilliant podcast, but um, is there anything else you want to tell us about <sighs> you? Like perhaps you mentioned off air that you were an actor. Yeah. Uh, so my dad was a theater director, and so I just kind of followed in his footsteps. 
and uh, done a lot of Shakespeare and worked at a lot of Shakespeare festivals here in the U.S. and then got into, actually went to school for musical theater, which is where I met Nathan. And so I'm a singer and currently, since we're in quarantine and there's no theater happening right now, I'm doing a lot of uh, private voice coaching and uh, directing a radio play that we're both doing, uh, which is super fun. So I've always been very creative and very much into the arts, primarily performing arts. And I spent a, a number of years in New York as well, you know, doing the doing the thing that I guess every young actor tries to do and be on Broadway. And then, you know, life led us elsewhere. We got married and and then Nate's uh, opportunities took us to Las Vegas. So, yeah, I, I'm really interested in storytelling of all forms and vulnerability and what that means as a tool for strength and finding ways to do that with my particular skill set, which is sort of mm. how how the podcast came about and how we kind of stumbled into that. I'm not great at being open and vulnerable and sort of just authentically unapologetically me. I like to hide behind <laughs> a character with lines that are written for me and I can kind of be very strong and confident in the, you know, embodying someone else with this sort of disguise. But the podcast is my private mission is to just be me and own my ideas and and uh and thoughts and opinions it's terrifying um and it's just a constant exercise it helps that we're just speaking to a void in our basement in our pajamas most of the time podcasting in pajamas don't don't break the fourth wall you all do it just don't tell anyone right. you're lucky i'm not in a dressing gown <laughs> we wouldn't judge you at, all. at all so <laughs> i mean i'm a hundred percent sitting in a harry potter onesie right now and it is Good. delightful <laughs> yeah i have a onesie it's back to the future themed and i to be honest i'm wearing it but i put a sweater over it to look respectable, <laughs> to look respectable. <laughs> i didn't put clothes on until about seven o'clock today <laughs> That's that's the world we're in now. Yeah. Is is this what being candid on your fucking podcast feels like? Oh dear. Uh, it's great because then you're also in the state of mind where you feel really comfortable and just you mm -hmm. and and you know, podcasting is such an interesting medium that's that's gathered such steam mm -hmm. lately and it's one of the most intimate forms of entertainment i think we have out there because you're just speaking mm. to one person's mm -hmm. right in their ear yeah so i think great. it's really fascinating and powerful and i i'm i'm excited about all of it yeah yeah me too <laughs> <laughs> okay shall we move on to talking about birth and naming ceremonies Yes. One at a time. Why don't you tell me a favourite story from your childhood? Well, you just said birth and naming ceremonies. So the first thing that popped into my head was... My, so I've already said that I was an accident, but my mom, before she found out she was pregnant with me, had this dream. And this voice was speaking to her in her dream. And she saw this sort of fuzzy, glowy... 
image of a young woman in a white dress with long blonde hair. And the voice said, Nancy, this is your daughter, Emily. And um, <laughs> she was like, what? And, and then she woke up and just a few days later, she found out she was pregnant. And that's why my name is Emily. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and I used to be blonde, but well, I will be soon because quarantine. I haven't been to the salon. But yeah, so that's uh, that's why my name is Emily. I don't know. That's just been this story that's been told to me for years and years. So that's not even from my childhood. It's but I heard it a lot when I was a kid. How about you, Nate? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, as I as I said, I I was also a uh, uh, an incident, as it were. But um, wow, we've gone from accident to incident. <laughs> it was it's an incident. It's an incidental. Um, so I was named. <laughs> Actually, one of my my favorite memories as as a child, all of my nuclear family was in Arizona, but all of my extended family was out in the state of Indiana. Um, I was named after my grandfather, Robert, who I never met. He died a year before I was born. He had, had a heart attack. And that's my middle name um, was, was named after him. So about once every few years my uncle and aunt would come and visit us. And I just remember being so overjoyed every time that would happen because he he would just tell me about this father of his who I never met, you know, my who my grandfather was. And he would tell me these stories about him. And it was like this connection to something beyond myself that I could never actually know. Mm. But it, I felt like because I was named after him, it somehow instilled in me a better understanding of myself, you know, or if that's not who I was, it was like, that's a part of me somewhere, you know, we'd be, be out on a hike or a walk when I'd be little and they'd be like, Oh, he walks just like his grandfather, Mm. you know? And I, I remember like, would like, perk up a little bit and like raise my head a little higher and feel a little like proud of that. Like that's good because I, I would hear how they would talk about him and how much they loved him and what a good and decent person he was. And it would just make me mm. feel like, you know, if that's happening, I must be on the right path. I must be doing something right. So I, I always just cherish those times when I would have that connection to family and they could connect me to my to myself and connect me to my past in a way that mm. I was never going to be able to experience. I was never going to know, know him, but I, I just always felt so much more connected to who I was and who I was, you know, capable of being when those yeah. times would come. That's cool. That is cool. Yeah. There's something so important about knowing your ancestry, I think, mm-hmm. and really understanding where you come from, if you can. I, I didn't discover that till I was an adult, just several years ago, how important that was to me when mm-hmm. we took that tour mm. of the South. And, yeah. um, you know, even if some of the stuff you discover is not great stuff, you mm-hmm. know, I, I have family from Georgia and they're deeply rooted in racism and stuff like that. And, and that was hard to see, but really important. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I didn't have a great sense of that when I was a kid. I think just because my family unit was fractured. Mm-hmm. 
I think it's fascinating that sort of thing because I tend to incorporate that sort of thing into my naming ceremonies. I will explain someone's name and where it comes from and the significance to the family. And I'm so glad that that means a lot to you because it means a lot to the parents of the people I'm doing the ceremonies for. And if that can be passed on to having a real meaning to the person who the naming ceremony is for, then surely mm. that's the right kind of ground we should be covering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you have children? No. No, we do not. And are you planning on having them or not? <laughs> <laughs> I know you've done an hour-long podcast on this. Let's, let's do the edited version, Sally. Sure, sure. Um, the, yeah, uh, the edited version is that we have been around the horn. I and mean, we've been back and forth about it for years and years now. Mm-hmm. We both assumed we would have kids. And then early on in our marriage, we realized, oh, we have a choice in the matter. Uh, yeah, this and is actually a decision that we can make. Since then, mm-hmm. we haven't been able to make that decision. Yeah, I think it's like a boomerang. You know, we keep throwing it. <laughs> They're like, well, we'll deal with that later. And we throw it. And then it kind of, it keeps cycling back around. Like the topic never disappears for too long. You know, it always sort of comes back. It's a sign, I think, telltale sign that maybe, you know, it's worth considering. Yeah. And I think the the way that, that marriage has changed in the last several decades, it's pushed that decision down the line more and more. And it's also made it less of a given, you know, because suddenly, Mm -hmm. you know, there's that feeling that like, I must get established first. There's these other life milestones I have to hit first. Yeah. And then I can do that, you know, so I have to have the career first. I have to have a house House. first. I have to have a, a partner first. And then that, whereas, you know, in the fifties and the sixties and before you just, you went for it. You just you did just, everything. Like, yep. Just do it all. Do it all at once. Like, you know, we'll figure that out as we go. And there's... It sounds so stressful. It sounds so stressful. And I <laughs> and I, I know my parents were trying to plan it out and then it didn't happen that way. And, you mm. know, and they just said, we just went for it. We just... It happened and you just go. Because it's life. You can't plan. Yeah. You can't plan for all the stuff. Yeah. No. And how boring if you did. Yeah. There's that little bit of release of control that's really hard to <laughs> to give up, I think. I think mm. that's that's the biggest thing is that sense of like, am I giving up this level of control that I have, that I enjoy, that I've built up? And I'm, am I willing to just offload that and kind of throw it to fate? Um, and know that this will be a completely different, albeit equally exciting adventure. It'll just be a different adventure, you know? Yeah. So if you do have children, do you think you'll have a naming ceremony, a christening or another celebration to welcome them into the world? I personally don't want a christening. I'm just going to say, yeah, I, I, I didn't grow up I, yeah. very religious. So. Yeah, I was baptized twice because I don't know, the first one didn't take or something. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and I, I think... I like the idea of a naming I ceremony. I love the idea of like a naming ceremony, a, really a, a welcome to the world. And I would absolutely love to do that. I would not personally want to tie it to religion in any sort of way because I feel like it's not good to foist religion on children who don't have any agency or self-awareness yet, you know? And I think that that comes from me growing up in it. 
when I was very little, a baby, I, I got like the, you know, the sprinkle, the, the, the drops on yeah. the head, you know, and I remember being in church and feeling a little like, well, I don't remember that. I don't remember it. That doesn't mean anything to me. Mm. That has no importance in my life, you know. And I, I guess the difference between a christening and a naming ceremony is that the celebrant will give you a copy of the naming ceremony that the kid can mm. read 10 years later. Oh, that's amazing. That's I, yeah. lovely. That's really lovely. I mean, I found out as a kid because my very religious Southern Baptist grandmother was trying to get me over to the side of Christianity. <laughs> she would sneakily take me to church when my mom was out of town. And I found out way later that because I didn't get the sprinkle on the head that I was probably going to hell. Oh, oh man. <laughs> and so that was not a great thing. What, to, a, what a trip. To live. Through. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and my mom assured me that that wasn't. Yeah. That See, wasn't I, t- I took believed. classes in middle school where mm-hmm. I actually went through courses and I went to, to through a whole process of getting to the point where I could then make the personal decision whether or not I would get baptized, mm-hmm. right? And then I did the full dunking, right? We did the whole like submerged mm-hmm. in the pool in front of everybody. And I, I thought that was, that whole process was really cool. Now again, it didn't take, but <laughs> 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 it didn't take that time either. But, you know, I felt I had agency in it and I, mm-hmm. I really appreciated that process, you know, and I think it, it guides me in a lot of things, even though I don't necessarily go, I don't go to church anymore and I don't follow that line of thinking anymore. But as far as the stuff we were talking about in terms of how one leads their life, I was like, this is cool. I can get yeah. behind that, you know. Um, definitely get behind something. What would you call like that? that state of Christianity in America? And I am generalizing here, but there's mm-hmm. in, in England, at least, there's the term C of E. It stands for Church of England, which means mm-hmm. that it's the general kind of Protestant, no one really bothers going to church, but they still kind of have Christian faith. If mm-hmm. someone's along those lines, what's your religion? C of E. Do you have an equivalent of that in the States? I mean, is it just Christian? I mean, I think there's... I, in Here in the States, we really have a big disparity, and I think it's become more and more. I think, you know, we have a term here called um, WASP, which means white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, you know, and a right. lo- there, there are these sort of three big Protestant buckets here in America. We have Methodists, Lutherans, and Baptists, and they've all gone through their, you know, their big divisions and things around things like mm-hmm. slavery and things like racism, and they've, they've split into little different groups and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we have Catholicism as, as another piece of that puzzle but then we have this sort of big chunk of of the american people which we call evangelicals which are like the born again christians and so they're not a specific sect of christianity they're not lutheran they're not methodist they they they're like the mega churches Mm -hmm. that you see a lot of money lots of money see them on tv yeah and and so support Trump. And there's like a, but there, and there's this idea of like the prosperity gospel. Yeah. Which is the idea that like leading a good Christian life will actually make you wealthy and prosperous and successful. 
And so there's a bit of a differentiation between those. It's very, I don't know, it's very muddy here. Uh, I mean, and there's a large, large percentage of the people in, I think, Lutheran, Methodist, Protestant, who are, I don't know what you would call them, but they're, you know, they're the the group that goes twice a year, right? They go for Easter and they go for Christmas Eve. Yeah. You know, and there's a huge part of the country that very much does that, but isn't practicing at any other time, you know, Mm. Uh, that grew up in it, but doesn't participate in it. I had a friend in high school that used to call herself a cafeteria Christian, where she would just kind (laughs) of like a la carte, kind of, they would pick and choose, you know, what worked for them, because some of the stuff they just didn't believe Mm -hmm. in, you know, depending on, and, and would you say, Nate, that a lot of people kind of bounce around from denomination to denomination. Like I know people who are like, well, we went to a Methodist church and then we switched to. I think, it, you know, there's a mix. You know, my my parents, I've been a little bit of everything. I've been Baptist. I've been Lutheran. I've been Methodist. I've been evangelical. I've been kind of all of those things at one point in time for another. I didn't really understand as a kid the big differences. You know, I didn't really seem much different to me in terms of those things. My parents always chose the church based on the pastor. You know, what was right. the pa- what was the pastor saying? What was the person who's going to be the one delivering this message to to us, to our family, is going to be guiding us through things. That's kind of how they made their decisions. So they they weren't stuck on one denomination. They've always focused more on the people within it. And there've been places we've you know, there have been times in my life growing up where I'd be like, I don't like this church because of this reason. And my mm. parents would pull me out and we'd go to a different church, you know. Do you know, that makes a huge amount of sense. I, I, I also really like the term cafeteria Christian. But now <laughs> I am. I, I, that makes a huge amount of sense. And mm-hmm. I think that's probably a sensible way to look at it if you do have faith. Huh. Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. that. I really like that. Cafeteria yeah. Christian. <laughs> Yeah, it's nice. I'll have the green jello of redemption, please. <laughs> now, now, if there's jelly, then I might be converting back. Hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm not, just to make it very clear. <laughs> but you said that you were more interested in a naming ceremony. Is that because you specifically don't want it to be faith-based? Uh, I specifically don't want it to be faith-based, just because I didn't grow up that way, that doesn't feel mm-hmm. like that's who I am. But I do feel like something like a naming ceremony is a great way to contextualize a new human's place in the world and where they mm-hmm. came from and, and why why their name was chosen and what it means mm-hmm. and how it's how it's important to the parents mm-hmm. and and sort of the connection to everything else mm-hmm. um and mm. and I grew up again not really religious but I got a little taste of baptism from my grandmother and I got a whole lot of um sort of more n- what we call new agey um <laughs> a little bit pagan a little bit you know sort of more eastern religion mm-hmm. I would say so a lot of the way I view our human's place in in the universe has to do with how we're all connected sort of energy-wise mm-hmm. to each other and 
you know, the sort of the butterfly effect that everything I do and will affect the world mm. in in a big way and that my thoughts, you know, are things that, that the things I think mm-hmm will become true if I, you know, so a lot of like, I don't know if you guys know about Wayne Dyer and sort of like setting an intention and and really changing the way you think in order to change how the world looks to you. So that's kind of like my faith is wrapped up in a lot of that. And, and so I do think that it's important to have a sense of our connection Mm -hmm. to each other. Mm. Um, and I and I think that that's a lovely way yeah. to sort of celebrate that. And I, I think you know, in terms of of the ceremony itself, like I I know every every culture has some form of of a naming ceremony, and it's a really important thing. I, I think if you look back into things like the Old Testament with Judaism and things that things like that, and fo- tracking those lines and tracking one's history. And it's not even so much as just just saying this is this this new person and this is their name, but here we are as a family, and this is us as yeah. a family mm-hmm. saying we are going to collectively take responsibility for this little person's development mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the successes and the failures they have going forward are going to be dependent on the things we do now here in the first four years of this child's life, it's really on us. It's on the village, right? Mm -hmm. Because as soon as they hit four, society takes over. Yeah, that's probably fair. Yeah, we're no longer the biggest effect on a child once they hit four. After that, it's society. And so I think that that cooperative coming together and saying we mutually together as a unit take responsibility... Mm. for the development of this person is a big deal. I think it's a really a big deal. And that brings in that brings in the idea of uh godparents too, mm-hmm. which I think is so lovely. And we're so isolated, I think particularly in the US because we're such a huge country and um everybody's moving around and suburbs, yeah. but that we often lose our connection to an extended family or a, a community you know mm-hmm. it, like they say it takes a village and sometimes it it doesn't look like that at all it's yeah. just the family mm. unit and that's it and uh, having godparents who are yeah. committed to being a part of the the development and upbringing yeah. of the child is 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 a great way to bring in the yeah. community our i grew up without my family close by and i, I feel like i'm jealous of people who had godparents I'm like that would have been nice it would have been mm. nice to have somebody you could go to who wasn't your parents and be like, man, I don't know what to do about this. This is really hard. And get get some help, get some support. You know, if you're in a nuclear family, which we are more than ever now, it's hard to know where to look, mm-hmm. you know, outside of your friends and your peer groups. But sometimes I don't want to go to my friends and peer groups and ask no. about something because they don't know anything. They're a bunch of idiots, just like me. Just like me. <laughs> so the term that humanist celebrants use as an alternative to the faith-based term godparent, I actually think mm-hmm. makes more sense for the role that that person actually fulfills for the young person and that's guide parent oh i like it i love so that do I. I love guide parent yes oh that's great that says everything it needs to say doesn't yeah, it you just know 
and it's recognizable because it kind of mm-hmm. sounds like Godparent. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm stealing that. I love it. That's good. Yes. Yeah. Godparents. Well, yes. because, you know, it's always lovely when you have like that cool aunt that mm-hmm. you can look up to or an older sister or an older cousin or something. And, and you do kind of, when you're a kid, sort of view those people as your guides. You know, yeah. you have your parents who tell you what to do and keep you in line and give you boundaries and all the things that yeah. your parents should do. But then you have these other role models mm-hmm. that help guide the way it's, for you. It's a very like hero's journey thing, right? Mm. It's very Joseph Campbell, right? I love that. It's, you know, it's everyone wants an Alec Guinness, you know, to show you the way, you know, that's really, you know, he's a Jedi guide parent. That's what we all want. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. Shall we move on and talk about marriage? Now, we know you're married. You've got a marriage podcast. So tell me about your <laughs> wedding day. Oh, yes. Well, we had one of those tiny weddings. Yes, we did. Before it was cool to do. Before it had a name, we had a micro wedding. Yeah, we had a micro wedding before anyone knew what that was. <laughs> and it was okay. mostly because... We were poor. <laughs> <laughs> And we wanted to have it in New York City. Like yeah. We really wanted to. That's where we fell in love. It was where we lived mm-hmm. at the time. And because it was a destination wedding for everybody, we decided to keep it really small. Yeah. So that meant it was in the wedding party. It was just Nate and myself and our officiant, Nate's best friend. Who Ivan. Us. Ivan. He mm-hmm. got uh, ordained in the... The internet universal life church was yep. that it the, yep. the internet one yeah and did we have anybody else we had we like had a, cu- a, a couple, couple friends read. who were in new york and then everyone else was, was but family. i mean in terms of in oh, the yeah. wedding party it was just us three yeah. and then a couple people got up to speak because we knew that if we had a traditional wedding party with brides mm-hmm. uh what are they called? Bridesmaids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And groomsmen that we wouldn't have any guests. So we just did it nice and small. Yeah. And we had about 25, 25 guests. people. And so <laughs> where we groove. got married, we actually got, uh, when I moved to New York, Emily had already been there for a little bit and she was taking me around this area of Queens called Long Island city. Right. And she took me to this place called Gantry Plaza state park. And it has all these old shipping piers that stick out into the water and it looks overlooks the East river and you can like look over and see Manhattan. It's There's beautiful. A very famous Pepsi Cola yeah. sign out there. And so she took me to this spot and like, we were not dating at the time, but we're like standing there on this pier watching the sun go down and we're kind of looking at each other. And it was a little like, this is interesting. I don't know what's going on right here, but this is certainly nice <laughs> and I don't mind it. And then eventually we did end up getting together like and a year later and it just, Something. became obvious that that should be the place that we should get married, should be on that pier. And that's what we that's did. And it was amazing. It was awesome. The coolest that my, one of my favorite little like side things about that is we had this whole thing set up and we figured out where, we, where it was going to be. And we went out to figure out kind of where the seats would go and all these things. And there's this trash can, this like New York City trash can, like sitting there. I was like, oh, well, we got to move that. And I go over to move it, and it is welded to the it's pier. There forever. It is well, there forever. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, "Oh no! What do we do? What do we do?" And so that trash can was our altar. <laughs> I literally got 
a a, a piece of a piece of plywood two by two plywood threw it on top of there put it on top of it we covered it up Table with cloth. like a beautiful white tablecloth and like we had a trash altar it looks Amazing. great in pictures, but it was definitely a New York City trash altar. I mean, isn't it was that awesome. Just so the New York. Perfect metaphor perfect. for marriage. <laughs> yeah. So, I want to go back to your best mate as an officiant. Yeah. I'm led to believe that basically anybody who pays $35 over the internet can legally marry people in America. Is that right? This That's is true. Right. Mm-hmm. This is true. <laughs> that is not how it works for people like me in Britain. Yeah. Really? No, my weddings aren't legal, uh, despite the fact oh. I've got training and accreditation and insurance, etc., etc. Only priests and registrars can do legal weddings. We yeah. are campaigning for that. I don't think we'll ever get to the point where anyone in America can like do an internet course and and be inefficient, but. Yeah, it just fascinates me, the complete difference, despite the fact that we don't really seem to feel like there's huge differences between America and the UK. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and it was, it is weird because there's a little nuance there here in the States. It's, it's a little strange because, yes, you need the officiant, but more importantly, you need the two witnesses mm-hmm. right. for each party. And then that has to go to the, to the city hall. Yeah. And so that was the critical thing. Like anybody can be the efficient, but, but you they know, can get certified. But yeah, you, but get... you've got to get the the signatures and the witnesses mm-hmm. to actually make it happen. Right. You know, that's that's the thing here. And does the efficient have to have faith? Can you have a non-religious efficient? I think you have to at yes. least declare yourself something or other. Yes. Right? Now it's a. No, you do, you don't, oh. because it's a civil marriage, and that's the thing about oh. about the United States is right. that marriages in the states are not religious; they are civil, right? Like all marriages to be legal have to go through this civil avenue that involves the courts and the registers and all those things, mm. and religion plays not into it at all. However, if you're deter- de- depending on your religion, you might not be married in the eyes of the church, right? Right. So like if you're Catholic and you don't go through the proper channels of courses and things of that nature and you don't do it the right way in the church, in the the church's eyes, you are not married. Right. Even though legally on paper you are. Yeah. So that's the that's the big difference. um, I I think that we see it's just there's so much variety, you know, and that's Mm. why we have a lot of that sort of like, well, I grew up Catholic and I grew up Lutheran. And so we have to have a Catholic wedding, not because I'm really that concerned about Catholicism, but because in the eyes of my family, my community, my church, it won't be legitimate unless we do it this way. so wild. Yeah. Good grief. And did that bother anyone you know that you had a civil ceremony with an officiant? Not my side of the family. Not my not. No, I mean, my parents were were religious but they their wedding was a bit of a disaster in terms of their parents so my my mom was always like elope elope i'll send you i'll send you the hundred dollars in a ladder like get out of there avoid it if you can so that my, my my i was very fortunate that my parents never 
you know, and, there, and there's a big difference. Like I'm a guy. And so the pressure on weddings as a guy is just different. You know, mm. no one, no one cares. No one wants to know about your dream wedding. You know, no one asks. I, I do want yeah. to know about your dream wedding. <laughs> I guess that's my job. It was it. That was it. I, I was, that was, it was great. exactly what I wanted. It was small, low key. I wanted like us to be the people who decided what happened. And I didn't want to do it to please anybody else. That was the hardest part. That's the hardest part. But yeah. But I think having a, a destination wedding made that much easier because mm-hmm. we did all the planning ourselves and you know, we made our own playlist for the music and we made all of our little we made a instead of like a wedding gift thing at the table, we made a mix CD. A CD. Oh, you made a CD. And I remember like I hand crafted the little cd cases <laughs> every yeah, single we one the, and we spent a lot of time at the craft store. a lot of time at the craft store a lot of oh, i, I love wedding favors i don't yeah. get to see them because i've gone by the time that the uh, people yeah. have their receptions at my wedding yeah. but wedding favors are so lovely i and love them too we love that it was a cd because every now and then people will be like oh we we listened to your CD the other day and we're like, what? what? And they're like, why did you put that song on there? And I'm like, shoot, I don't know why I put that song on there. I was 25, (laughs) right? It's great though, (laughs) because people will listen to it and think Mm -hmm. of us and think of that day. And Mm. I think everybody had a really good time. We, we had, our reception was in a restaurant across the way and um, we just rented a yeah. room. We had a giant ice cream cake because there was no way we were having a wedding with a regular cake. We had a, we were having a, an ice cream nice. cake. An ice cream cake. And then we had a bunch of little individual ice yeah. cream cakes Epic. for everybody. And they <laughs> didn't melt. Yeah. I mean, it felt nice because it felt like we were we were kind of playing by our own rules. Yeah. And we yeah. had the distance and the space a little bit to, to ultimately make decisions. And, and it just made it easier to plan and it didn't get out of hand you know i love alternative wedding cakes i've seen yeah. them made of donuts i've seen them made of cheese yeah ice cream is a new one to me and i'm uh, impressed i <laughs> love an ice cream cake. ice cream cakes in america it's a big deal i've seen the cold stone creamery ones. yeah cold uh, it's a, we have this place called cold stone creamery and that is like their jam is these ice cream cakes and they're yeah, they make good ice cream cakes. They're a big deal. Just to get it right in my head, it is like a le- like the, the layers of a wedding cake, but made Correct. with ice cream. So there'll be yellow cake. And or then, chocolate. Or, or yeah, which is ours. some type of cake. A cake. And then ice cream on top of it. And then like all the frosting and the fondant, just like a normal cake. But it has like an ice cream center, but on top Amazing. of regular cake. It's really great. It's a that lovely, wonderful. lovely thing. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, you talked about your mix CD. Is that on Spotify? Because if that's on Spotify, you could share the playlist with me. Oh my gosh, we'll put it on Spotify. Put it on we'll Spotify. It. Yeah, we'll do it. What song did you pick as your first dance? Oh, uh, we have. I know it. Yeah, you go ahead. It's the song "Good Day." Oh, is that our first yep. dance? Yep. No. Yep. No. Yes. Not our official first dance. Yep. No. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> She's Not wrong. The jukebox song. Yep. No. It's the song "Good Day" no. by Jukebox the Ghost. That's, that's the first on the album, but that wasn't our first dance. You wrote a song for our first dance. Oh, that's right. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. You I wrote did a song. write a song. You surprised me. That's right. I did. 
It's I love that, that I forgot that. I don't know. It might be. But yeah, no, I did we'll write a song. It, maybe we should put it on the mix. Oh, dear. <laughs> if I can find it. Um, yes, I did write a song. It's a ballad. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's beautiful. I wrote a ballad. Beautiful. I just remembering this just now. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. I love that you forgot. I was like, it was that song by Jukebox the Ghost. No. That's right. Yeah, it was a slow ballad that I wrote, and I had our old piano and voice teacher from undergrad write an accompaniment accompaniment to it so that I could then record over it. It's a trash recording. It's terrible. I did it on I did it on like a Mac computer with no microphone. I just like winged it. It sounds terrible, but it, I mean it's a good song. It was very it... sweet. <laughs> I'm sure it was beautiful. <laughs> it was. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> I'm blushing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least I didn't write a song for you and you forgot it. That would have been it worse. It would have been worse if I forgot. It's better it. to forget your own song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you remembered. Uh-huh. I would have been like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move on and talk about death? The first question is a big one. Are mm-hmm. you scared of death? I don't think I am. No. I, <laughs> the only thing that scares me is how I die. Yeah, like dying mm. is different than, than death. The distinguished, like, I fear the act of dying more than I feel the, the state of death, if that makes sense. No, that does make sense. Yeah. <laughs> I feel pretty at peace with things. Yeah. And and I while I'm not religious, I do sort of feel like if it happens, it's it's meant to be that way and mm-hmm. you know, I yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think the I get scared of things like a plane crash or oh. a car crash. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. that the dramatic things. Dramatic things where it doesn't end quickly. Sure. Um but other than that, yeah, I I don't think so. You know, I think when I was a kid, I I was terrified of it, you know, and what, what I think is interesting is I remember being very young. I think it's, we, we take, I don't think we appreciate how deep some of these things are like this awareness, this sort of sense of what's coming and what came before. I remember being little, like five, six and being like, I was born on January 23rd, 1985. What what was going on before that? Like I don't remember it. I wasn't there. What? What? What was I like? And it's such a big, mind-blowing thing to comprehend. But Mm -hmm. I think as a as a child, you start thinking about the front end of that early. You're like, what? What was going on before I became whatever is going on right now? Me before I was self-aware. My mom and dad are talking about the things that happened before I was born. And you're like, mm. I'm, where, where was I? What was I doing? Was I hanging out? Was I like something? Floating like, around somewhere? Floating around? Well, like, the, the idea of consciousness, yeah. right? And I remember it being explained to me as a kid that after we die, because, you know, we weren't really believing in heaven, that after we mm-hmm. die, it was just like it was before we were born. Yeah, and like... And that freaked me out, the idea of nothingness. Mm. But, and I was like, well, won't I be scared? What will I do? What will I? And mm. no, because you just you're won't, just gonna be. It's just, just gonna be. be. You know, and I it it makes me feel 
peaceful because I'm tired. Like <laughs> you're already <laughs> like, exhausted. This is this whole life thing is just woo, like it's work and like there's nonsense going on all over the place. Mm. So like it just feels like a, like a life's long rest, <laughs> which I, will be yeah. hopefully well earned by the time it rolls around. So I, I do feel this sense that there's like consciousness on some level, a mm-hmm. spirit, if you will, mm-hmm. that will transfer to something or dissipate yeah. and become yeah. something else. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Like the, the idea I that I love that idea. Energy continues to go. Mm-hmm. Matter doesn't disappear. Matter reforms itself in some form or place or some way. You know, we are all, we're all star stuff. I love that kind of thing, oh, right? Yeah. Like yeah. we're the and I think it's just that more than anything, I appreciate the focus that it gives me in the present. When I started to make that shift between death is not a scary thing, death is a reminder of the importance of today and the importance of being present and in the moment and stoicism and that idea of looking over the edge of the abyss and being like, in a moment, it, this could happen. And if, it's, if I'm constantly reminding myself that I could go at any moment, then I'm better prepared to actually go about the work of living. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The, the Stoics have like that phrase, memento mori, which means remember, it just literally means you remember you will die. Just remember it always. And you'll be better prepared to walk through life. Mm-hmm. So have either of you experienced the death of a loved one? I've been very fortunate in that I, I haven't experienced anyone extremely close to me die. But, you know, grandparents, the closest person to me to have passed was my grandmother my dad's mom Mm -hmm. she and Mm. i were really close she's the one who took me to church when i was little she (laughs) she and i were really close and and towards the end i i think she always said i was one of her favorite grandchildren whether that was true or not i don't know she probably said that to everybody but uh, (laughs) but it just our bond felt really special and she was really important to me in a lot of ways but i yeah i mean i'm i'm lucky so far both Mm -hmm. parents are around and siblings and all of that. Yeah. I, I had my grandmother who she had breast cancer three separate times in her life and she defeated it twice and she got past the five year mark the first two times, right? Where she should have been in the clear. Mm -hmm. And the third time I was 17, 18 years old and she actually lived at our house um, while she was steadily getting worse and worse that third and final time. And I think just being present for that. And there were definitely times where I looked away and I was not prepared emotionally or, or developmentally to really stare that in the face and really confront it. But, but it was there, it was present in that awareness. And when she went into hospice and it was like a mile away from our house. And when we got the call that she had actually passed away, we actually went that night and that was the first body I had ever seen. And it wasn't at a funeral. It was in the room where she had been. And it was, I did not feel afraid. I didn't feel sad because, you know, the, the saddest thing was the year leading up to it. Mm -hmm. And so 
to see her there and be like, well, that's over. That fight is over. And like, I watched you fight three separate times this terrible disease. Mm. And I'm so relieved that you don't have to do that anymore. Mm. You know? And so it, it gave me a sense of uh, that there are things worse than death and, and the act of dying is oftentimes worse than the event itself. Mm -hmm. And I, I, that perspective is like an 18 year old was jarring, but real and i think the the other big events of my life have been more like brushes with death where people i've loved came mm-hmm. close to dying or avoided tra- tragedy and things like that you know so can i make another one of my ignorant british guy questioning an american <laughs> questions here? yeah questioning american <laughs> questions here um my granddad died at a similar age for me as yours did for mm-hmm. you there was absolutely no way I would have been invited to the hospital mm. and I would have seen his dead body. Mm. Is that a norm in America that you are expected to go and see the dead body? You, I mean, I know of the open casket thing, which is almost unheard of in Britain, but that's not even that. That's in his hospital bed. Is that a norm or is that something that was specific to your family? Uh. I've never had that experience. I I think it was specific to the moment. I think it was very much, you know, it happened late at night. I happened to be awake. I had a friend with me, like a high school friend was actually there at the house with me when it happened. And my mom had to go. And it was more of a sense of like, you know, I'm 18. Like, I'm going to go with you, mom, because that's your mom. So I'm going to go with you. It's definitely not something I think is expected. I don't know if it's something in the norm. I think it was just more out of a sense of suddenly it wasn't about my grandma now. It was about my mom. It was about right. being there for her. And uh, and there was something that felt like I wanted, I felt I wanted to see her off in a private moment in right. a way that felt private where it wasn't other people looking at me. It wasn't going to be performative. It wasn't going to be religious. It wasn't going to be anything other than the moment in the space and time that I needed to be there. You yeah. Know? That feels more natural to me than an open casket I remember situation. that way more than I do her actual funeral. I remember very little about her funeral. I know a lot <laughs> of folks. I mean, my yeah. parents were, uh, my stepmother at least, she and her siblings were in the room when both of their parents died. Mm-hmm. And so they were all there before and the moment when it happened and then they were there after and said their goodbyes and left. And that to me feels like a really beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like you said, Nate, intimate and very personal the open casket thing is something that seems really bizarre to me and i just oh, i couldn't yeah i i think and that's we're trending away from that in the united states oh i didn't know that we have more and more cremations every year mm-hmm. so you can't cremate a body that has been treated for an open coffin is that right i think you can can't you they can now yeah but, uh well they there are some that do i don't know rules and the laws about how they do it but i know there are some who will do a viewing Mm. and then do cremation i don't know how you know all the rules around that but like my grandma was cremated Mm. um i know both of my parents plan to be cremated Mm -hmm. um you know so 
yeah, it's it's very much a Midwest thing. When my other grandmother passed away, they, it was in like an open casket. And that was the first family member I'd ever seen in an open casket. And I was like, this is bizarre. I was like, I don't like this at all. I was like, this is just strange, you know. Do you think it's a generational thing? You're, well, you're a few years younger than me, but is it perhaps that baby boomers are more likely to get comfort from an open casket than Generation X and millennials, do you think? Perhaps. I think possibly. I think it's also regional Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Like that was like the Midwest, and the, I think and that's a big deal. In the South, I think that's a very big deal. My grandmother had an open casket. Deal. Yeah. I wasn't there, but she was buried in Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know, I think out out here in the West, it's a little less, you know, a little less so. You got people in the ground faster because, you know. It's dry. Yeah, it's dry. <laughs> it's dry. <laughs> you know, we had, we had, you know, we had our Wild West crazy craziness, and so the... You know, they're, they kind of, someone would die and they'd prop them up, take some pictures and then have they them did. in the ground as soon as possible. Like, so yeah. it's just a different, yeah, the West has a little bit of a different, less, I'd say, precious approach to it, yeah. <laughs> to right. it maybe. Yeah. yeah. So I think I know the answer to this after what you've just said, but do you want to be buried or do you want to be cremated? Oh, I definitely want to be cremated. Oh, uh, to be honest, I'm hoping by the time I go, there's some crazy newfangled, there are. exciting you thing. You can be a tree pod. Be a tree pod or a compressed a stuff. diamond. Or, yeah. Uh, you can be vinyl now. Yeah, you can be a, they a can record. put you on an LP, which, you know, that's super cool. Maybe that, weddings, that wedding song I wrote. Is that the ashes or, they, or you yourself? Because I've seen stuff like art that's made from ashes and yeah. tattoos yeah. that are made from ashes. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I like. I, like I, all I of love that. all that. I love all that. Like out there stuff. Like something that like really symbolic of that. Of that person. I do not want to be a tattoo. You don't want to be a tattoo nope. on me. I want to be my own person. <laughs> that's great. I uh, but I do like the idea of being like a tree. You know, yeah. but being part of the earth, going mm-hmm. back to the earth in a real way, not yeah. in a casket. Are the tree pods legal in the States? Because they're not legal here yet. I don't think they are they're yet. They're not yet? No, I don't no. think so. I, but I know there is a push to back towards like green burial. Yeah. Where mm. it's, it's, and there's whole cemeteries that are dedicated to it where it's, you know, we're not going to treat the body with all these chemicals yes. and it's going to be, we're not going to do a whole casket thing. We're going to go do a shroud and we're going to do this a little more organically. Yeah. And I think that's, I like that idea way better than, a box. Yeah. And I think for people out, well, your age, my age, I think mm-hmm. the options like water cremation and tree mm-hmm. pods. And I mean, even the one, I don't know if you've seen the exhibition in Las Vegas when you lived there. <gasps> the, um, yes. What's it called? Bodies. 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 Yes. The plastination. Yes. yes. We saw that when it toured into Denver. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, that's fascinating. Super cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I saw that in Las Vegas and I, it was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. It's so fascinating. And, yeah. I, you know, I, I think any of those options for me would be cool. Cremation, mm-hmm. if necessary, just not burial. No. Yeah. You know, I, I there no. there's... But what's funny is, like, on the flip side of it, the display of the body thing, I think, is really... I don't like that but yet there's like in new orleans 
they're like, Ugh. we'll prop this person up on a bench and you can come sit next to them for oh, a bit. Lady. And like, there's crazy stuff going on in New Orleans because they just embrace death in such like a macabre and yet joyful way. I love that. And yeah. I love that. I love that sort of sort of thing. Like, yeah, like ideally, give me a second line parade. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and then turn me into a vinyl record at the end of it. I don't That's fine. That sounds great. Like, and it better be a party. Your vinyl record would be the one that you wrote for your wedding. That you forgot exactly. exactly. They'll be like, he doesn't remember this song, but it sounds okay. But he's it forever. It's a total bop. Connected to it. It's a major bop. Uh, yeah. And I, I, and I think that, that idea of it being joyful, that's the most mm. important thing. I don't want somber, sad nonsense. A celebration. Yeah. Mm. A reminder of all the good stuff, mm-hmm. all the wonderful qualities and all the funny things. Yeah. Yeah. So have either of you got any idea of a reading that you might like to be read at your funeral? Uh, that's a great question. I- I'm very wishy-washy about things like that. Uh, for a-, a minute, I will think, oh, this is the- this is it. This is the most important. This is what I want read at my funeral. This song I want played. And then I changed my mind. <laughs> There's a Mika song called Emily that I want played. Yeah. Mm, it's really sure. bouncy and fun. <laughs> but I don't know. Do you have a reading? Um, I, I don't know if it would be a reading in the terms of like a passage from something. I, I would likely have uh, some lyrics from a song called Up and Up by this band Reliant K that I've been listening Mm. to since I was like 13. They're tattooed all over my arm right now. (laughs) Good. Or the song, it may be part of a song called The Great Unknown by Jukebox the Ghost. So it would probably be song lyrics. The lyrics that you've got on your arm, would they be the ones that you'd have read out? Probably. Amazing. So the tattoo I have on my arm is like a... It's a uh, collage, and everything in the collage represents a different song from this band. So I have like a, it's like a traffic cone and a key and a ladder with a missing rung and mountains in the background, and then two banners that have some script and some lyrics on them. And they all represent just different things that I found valuable to me. As I've gone through, there's like an alarm clock on there and things like that. And so it would probably be some combination of some of those ideas on my arm. Yeah. Okay. I just thought of something. Oh, Emily just thought of one. Go for it. It's a little nerdy, but I am a Shakespeare nerd. <laughs> ah, yes. Um, <laughs> it's the epilogue from As You Like It. And uh, I just had the great good fortune to play the role of Rosalind in at the Colorado Shakespeare Festival last year. And yes, I'm going to brag about it because it was one of my favorite experiences <laughs> and d- directed by a dear, dear friend that I grew up. Talk about guide parent. She was a real role model for me. Mm. And thinking about this, every time I delivered this, I just felt such electricity and I got to speak directly to people um, Mm. about the story that they just experienced. And when you think about the play as a metaphor for life, um, can I read it? Yeah, go for it. Okay. 
You better do it really good, though. Oh, stop. Shakespeare it up. I'm so nervous. No, I won't. I am British, remember? Oh, God. I won't do a dialect. So, could, a lot of Americans think you have to perform Shakespeare with a British dialect. Or you're it's not terrifying. even doing it right. <laughs> so, uh, it's short, I promise. Uh, it goes like this. It is not the fashion to see the lady the epilogue. But it is no more unhandsome than to see the lord the prologue. If it be true that good wine needs no bush, tis true that a good play needs no epilogue. Yet to good wine they do use good bushes, and good plays prove the better by the help of good epilogues. What a case am I in, then, that am neither a good epilogue nor cannot insinuate with you in the behalf of a good play." I am not furnished like a beggar, therefore to beg will not become me. My way is to conjure you. And I'll begin with the women. I charge you, O women, for the love you bear to men, to like as much of this play as please you. And I charge you, O men, for the love you bear to women, as I perceive by your simpering none of you hates them, that between you and the women the play may please. As I am a woman, I would kiss as many of you as had beards that pleased me, complexions that liked me, and breaths that I defied not. And I am sure as many of you have good beards or good faces or sweet breaths will, for my kind offer, when I make curtsy, bid me farewell. And uh, besides the very obvious binary stuff in there, I really <laughs> just love that it speaks directly to people about uh, a life that was hopefully well-lived and intentionally executed and take it or leave it. I hope you got something out of it as I mm. certainly did. Mm -hmm. And, and for this brief moment, we experienced it together. Um, and now it's time to go. Yeah. I'll tell you something. That is the question that everybody struggles with. And that mm -hmm. is the first person that's been brave enough in, what, 15 episodes to read out their poem. So, big up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I just thought of it in the moment. But <laughs> it's really, um, it's, a, it's a very conversational and kind of odd bit of text from Shakespeare. It's not the most poetic, but to me, it's, it's the most intimate Yeah. Uh, mm. with, with the audience. Yeah. And, uh, and it always, it's always gotten me. Yeah. Every time I got to perform that, I just, I was just so moved and grateful and it's such a it's such a weird transition in life when you start thinking about those things like i've had mm. that thought to myself i'm like what if tomorrow i go mm -hmm. emily doesn't know what i'm hoping for and what i'm wishing for and what i want to say you mm -hmm. know and it's a very strange thing to be like i guess i should start telling you i'm like over here taking notes like from it's not just on the yet. podcast that I encourage people to do this. I encourage everyone I know to make a yeah. note of the reading they would like and the mm -hmm. music tracks that they would like. He doesn't like it much, but my partner knows what I want playing. I think he's more mm -hmm. concerned about telling the funeral director that Linkin Park needs to be played in a crematorium more than anything. <laughs> yes. but he, yes. he knows, and so does my dad, so does my brother. Yes, that's, I love it. Yeah, that's really great. Mm -hmm. It's 
Yeah. I mean, it's sort of been in the back of my mind. I guess I should figure that out. But yeah. now it's I mean, even well, more you're both going to know because you're both sat next to each other while you've been talking about it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Do you know what else you would like then? What music tracks would you like for the entrance, the reflection and the exit part of your funerals? Ooh. The exit, for sure, that Mika song. Right. Emily. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Entrance. Maybe Fields of Gold by Sting. Oh, yeah. There you go. Mm. I'd probably have Good Day. Yeah. I would have Good Day by... As play Out? Yeah, probably Outro? is my Play Out. Okay. It's Jukebox the Ghost. And it's just this very bouncy, happy song. You know, it's basically talking about, like, everybody said what a good day that it was, you know. And, mm. you know, we smiled because we liked it. And it's just it's just charming and... Sweet and simple kind of, and it's just quirky. Great. Yeah. And... uh you know, I don't know. I, uh, I have to like, I love music. So I, it would be like one of those things I'd have to like, I'd make a playlist make of, a of 200 lists. songs and then slowly start to <laughs> whittle down from there. I think I, I'd like Claire de Lune, the Debussy mm. uh, piece to be played at some point. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. It would probably be one of those things because I like all these weird bands that no one really knows about. It'd be like, now you have to listen you sons of bitches. All those times <laughs> like I was like, you should <laughs> listen to this band. And they'd be like, well, maybe it's not really my thing. I was like, now, good. Now strap in. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be 30 songs that no one's it's ever heard be before. Be <laughs> <laughs> You're awake. Everyone will be like, well, wasn't he a dickhead? <laughs> Do you use the word dickhead in America? Not uh, not in not such as like much a as we not such a charming way. Uh, yeah. um, I have to I have to tell you it's like so great because um, when I graduated from undergrad, I spent <laughs> three months in Branson, Missouri, with a br- bunch of um, Brits doing a show called the Twelve Irish Tenors, which is okay. insane. Like it's absurd, and this was like my first interaction with like people from Britain. And my friend Rob would come in and he'd be like, you, Nate, are a fucking cunt. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and, and like he, we went through this whole thing back and forth of, of him, him explaining to me all these different ways that he could call me that. And how, and which ones I should take offense to and which ones I should not. And I was never like really quite offended. I was just sort of like, I don't know how to respond to this. Like, I, I don't really care if you call me that, but I'm like, but you're saying this with a smile and you seem be? so happy about it when you say this to me. <laughs> this isn't the British stereotype, I know. <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on. And that word over here, of course. Oh, yeah, that. and that is like forbidden here. The you don't call that number one anyone worst word. that ever. I mean, I wouldn't use it. At a funeral, but, you know. Right? <laughs> and it's just, yeah. I. What's terrible is you start hanging out with a bunch of people who throw it around liberally and you then go home to your parents. And you're like, yeah, what a fucking cunt they are. And my mom would be like, oh! <laughs> and I'd be like, well, you have to understand. It's not good. It's not good. Didn't work out. Didn't so work out so well. She'd be like, well, you're not in Britain now. Not in my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've both been brilliant. And as an experiment, I am pleased it went so well. 
Where can people find you and your podcast on the internet? Oh my goodness. Great. So we're on Instagram at a messy marriage podcast Mm -hmm. and on Facebook at messy marriage podcast. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you can listen to us on, you know, Apple podcasts, Spotify, all those good things. Pandora, Um, most places you can find us. And it's just twice as less not perfect. A messy marriage podcast. And then we have people email us at lessnotperfect at gmail.com so that they can give us show suggestions and feedback and let us know what they what weird marriage quandaries they want to hear about. That's right. Yeah. All about the conversation. Uh, cringy. The cringier the better. <laughs> cringy conversations. It is cringy, but it's compelling. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Yeah. It's good to it's good to hear that feedback. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on Life's Milestones, both of you. Absolutely. Thank Thank you you so much for having us. And I'd just like to say one more time, thank you so much to Emily and Nathan for joining me on Life's Milestones. They're the first people that I've approached through various podcaster networking groups on Facebook. And they were so lovely and so friendly. And I had such a positive experience that it made me think that I'm going to do a little bit more of it. So I've got more folk that I've met through that networking group coming up over the next few weeks, like I said. And uh, I'm looking forward to them. A little bit out of my comfort zone, having these kind of conversations with people I don't know. But I really did enjoy meeting Emily and Nathan. So it's definitely something I'm going to carry on doing. As always, I'll be adding all the songs we mentioned to the playlist in a few days. Keep your eye out for that. So thank you for listening to Life's Milestones, and I'll see you next time. Life's Milestones is a podcast on the We Made This Podcast Network. The show's host is me, Mark Adams. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at MarkAdamsHC. You can also find me on Facebook. Just search for Mark Adams Humanist Celebrant. My website is humanist.org.uk forward slash Mark Adams. Regular listeners to the podcast can claim a 10% discount on my fees for a naming ceremony or wedding. Just make sure you quote milestones when you get in touch. The theme tune for Life's Milestones is performed by Zach Reagan and the logo was created by Carl Bryan. Follow the show on Twitter at Life's Milestones. Thank you for listening. Elsewhere, and we made this. Pick a disc. And I got, I bought Riot first, and I was like, oh, I really like this. And then I went back and bought their first album, uh, which I can't think of the name of the first one right now. But I, I listened to Riot more than I did the first one for sure. Yes, I recently found my old iPod and you know how it used to, there's a section under settings that would tell you your most listened to songs. This was the top, like however many tracks it is, like 14 slots. And then it was everything else I listened to. (laughs) Right in the childhood. Robin, the hooded man, doo-doo. Mate, before we do anything else, that f- sound.
soundtrack. Uh, yeah, you're a big fan of it, aren't you? Digging it. I, I could see the admiration for it in there. Uh, if you little twinkle in your eyelids. Oh, Twinkle, it what a f here. It's beautiful, beautiful music by bands called Clanad, who obviously play that kind of music generally. Yeah. And um, it won a BAFTA. Oh, okay. That's because it, it deserved yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know what? It definitely fit the aesthetic to the shows. Cinemortuary podcast. Yeah, I want to. I want to say, and I don't like say this lightly, but this might be my favourite two minutes of any film we've reviewed on the podcast so far. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty fucking wild. It is pretty wild. Sure. If I was given the director's chair five million dollars, this is the sort of thing <laughs> I'd do. You'd do that for it ninety really minutes. <laughs> yes, Missing with a roulette wheel Just again, non-stop. What if he vomits? <laughs> what if he vomits playing cards? Beautiful. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This Podcast Network.